0: Hi, everyone. You're listening to CFRC 101.9 FM, and I'm your host, Alexandra Fernandez. Today, live in our studios with us, we have District 8 Kingston City Councillor of the Meadowbrook Stratcona area, Councillor Jeff McLaren. Mr. McLaren attempts to address the housing crisis that our city faces by establishing more housing cooperatives here in the region. A news release published on Wednesday, March 15, states that he is seeking council approval to be appointed to the Development Board of Limestone City Cooperative Housing. A Soon to be incorporated not for profit housing cooperative. And so let's welcome Mr. McLaren onto CFRC 101.9 FM. How are you doing today?
1: Very good, thank you.
0: Good. Um, so, can you tell us a little bit more about this housing cooperative initiative and what it would look like for the people living in it?
1: So uh, I'm basically modeling it on Kingston Cooperative Homes, which is a uh, cooperative in my district. It's about 37 years old. They just paid off their mortgage and uh, the people, when I went door to door there were the long-term residents were very happy with how it's working out. So it seems that this would be an opportune time to do more, Similar co-ops like that, and since the federal and provincial government have promised lots of seed money, uh, it's time to get the community together to build more. Uh, part of the benefits of co-ops is that it's they're self-governed, so the people who live in them decide how they're going to run it this okay. is part of their own self government and since it's not for profit there's no landlord that's going to be taking the profits out so it it stays within the community and uh, the community itself is able to reduce the costs of operating because part of a co-op is a people volunteer a portion of their time somewhere around four hours a month to helping run the co-op so if you're for example an electrician you may help with electrical repairs if you're an accountant you might help with the bookkeeping um, and just generally you might want to just help clean up the place this reduces the cost of operating plus at the same time you have lower levels of expenses because um, there's no profit being taken out. Right. So it's a, it's sort of a win-win for everybody. But one of the other things that I heard really, that was really important to me was members of the co-op, long-term members of uh, Kingston Cooperative Homes in my district said that on occasion, they may have lost their job. They can move it right away. The co-op will help them move to a rent gear to income model until they find a new job and then go back to their regular um housing charges. What this means is that there's an internal safety net for the members should they encounter hard times such as a loss of a job. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this seems to be a very win-win situation for everybody. And so we want more of them, and my hope is that we can build as many as we possibly can as long as the money and the the land is available.
0: Yeah, for sure. And speaking of the funding, you said that there was um, funding already promised for this housing co-op. Can you tell us exactly where it's coming from and where you would hope that more comes from, I guess?
1: So it's not official yet because the co-op hasn't been officially incorporated yet. But the federal and provincial governments have declared that they want to... uh, There's a housing crisis in Canada, and they want to make housing. uh, They want to help build housing, so they've promised lots of these kind of funds. And we're going to be we're triaging uh, funds right now, or sorry, grant applications uh, for which ones are most likely to get something from them, and which ones are the biggest ones. That's the plan going forward. So once we get um, incorporated, the next step is to start applying for these grants. But in between the incorporation and now, we are just triaging them and uh, preparing how to write them
0: okay awesome are there any sites already in mind for where the housing co-ops would be built
1: no unfortunately um that is the next conversation we will be having with the city but so legally um having consulted with several lawyers and our integrity commissioner it's important that like we're actually holding off the um the incorporation until after this council meeting because of legal advice okay Um, so it's supposed to be community run but at the same time if it's community run there's no connection exactly with city council so I'm that link but in order to overcome the apparent conflict of interest Mm -hmm. legal scholars have said put me on the board by council first then incorporate and that's what we're doing essentially
2: okay
0: um and I guess you talked a little bit about this but if you could if there's a way to get more specific with it, how would the housing cooperative be set apart from, I guess, other new developments in the city that would make it more affordable for people? I know you touched a little bit about it, but can you just kind of elaborate maybe a little bit more if possible?
1: Yes. So um, there is a range of people in, within the uh, city that can afford to pay more or less. So one of the things that we're hoping for is, well, we're going to set it up in this way, is that um, there will be people who can afford market rents. It'll be people who can afford, say, 80% of market or 60% of market, and then there will be some who can only afford rent gear to income. Mm-hmm. After we calculate how much it is to maintain and repair the the co-op over a, uh, over its entire life cycle, uh, we get a fixed figure, uh, and then it'll be a, it'll change as inflation goes on. But that's the figure that we need to collect in in, char- in a housing charges. Now, if there are market housing that is greater than that, they can then offset the costs of anybody who would be paying less than that. That way we don't make a profit, but those who can will support those who would not normally be able to afford the high rents in Kingston. So it sort of balances out within the co-op. And then since everybody's uh, permitting terror, is contributing a portion of their time, mm-hmm. uh, it reduces costs for everyone.
0: That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. Um, and you've been mentioning the rent-geared-to-income model. Can you um, explain it a little bit more for people who may be unfamiliar with the concept and how that would Certainly. help people so, who are in a lower-income um, situation uh, with you know, having affordable housing?
1: Yeah, so the, the current model that the city has, we are legislated to have uh, 2003, I believe, housing units at rent-geared-to-income. The way it's uh, often done is... Um, the building owner uh, agrees to this the uh the tenant pays their whatever they can i believe it's like 30 percent of their income and the city will pop up or top up the rest of it to the market value so it's it's good for the, the, the homeowner or sorry the apartment building owner uh it's good for the actual tenant but uh it comes from tax dollars or Mm. sometimes it comes from grant dollars from the federal and provincial government the problem with that is that they become more and more or sorry i guess more stingy over time so they're reducing those costs by 2035 it's going to be reduced to zero this is an unfunded liability that the city has okay so we can find a sustainable model and this is where the co-op comes in where you have market rights supporting non-market uh non-market housing then it's a off the city books but we can maintain that legislated requirement without it affecting the tax dollars but because it's also nonprofit, it means that there is actually more money available to get it done so the 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 housing the uh the rent gear to income model that the city and the federal and provincial governments are working on right now is not sustainable for the city in the long run the purpose of the co-op is thinking in the long run, we're talking like 30, 40, 50 years down the road, mm-hmm. will, the, will the conditions of uh, federal and provincial government stinginess be affecting them? We want it not to be. Okay. Does that make sense? So uh, yeah, right now they, they're essentially gonna cut it all off by 2035. So we need to find a way to maintain those funds coming in. And the best way is to have market rent, I believe is to have market rents, subsidize non-market rents rather than tax dollars. Okay. And by taxing, I mean income tax, because it's the federal and provincials who are often providing the the funds for that. And if that doesn't, if that is a shortfall there, it comes from the city tax funds. um, Right. We have the least amount.
0: Okay. Um, And what are sort of the next steps in terms of this housing co-op? So you were saying that, um, I guess, to be incorporated would be next?
1: So tonight, um, I'm hoping that city council will put me on. That will clear the legal hurdles tomorrow. Or the next day depending on when i can get around to everybody's signature (laughs) we file the papers uh, it's through registered mail and we have to get a money order to do that Uh, i'm told it takes seven to eight weeks for the incorporation to go through Uh, when we get that we will start applying but between those time between like say tomorrow and uh, when we get word that we've been incorporated we will start the writing process for uh, grants and the conversations with the city on where land is available immediately
0: Okay, amazing, thank you. Is there anything else that you would like to add about the cooperative housing plans that we didn't get a chance to talk about?
1: So I see this as the very first of uh, one. I'm le- we're learning a lot. So it took six weeks to get our legal house in order, mm-hmm. but for the second co-op, that'll all be done. So we just repeat that process. So I'm hoping um, that uh, when we get to a stage in this one where it's like, uh, we've got say the grant money, we've got the location, all that, then we start it again. We incorporate again and uh, have sort of a a set of a whole bunch of co-ops going through a pipeline uh, in various stages of development because I suspect that this money will, that's coming from the federal and provincial government, may not last forever. So we want to get as much of that as possible here in Kingston because we do have a housing shortage. I mean, vacancy rates are incredibly low, so it's important that we build. And, And to be also clear, this is building for the whole range of housing because we're short in everything. It's not just affordable housing that is short, uh, medium housing, and uh, you know, we're not going to talk about high end because there's lots of that, but uh, I guess medium to uh, low to rent gear to income housing, essentially for the working pe- person, uh, it's they're finding it very hard to find housing. And that's that's where we are in the tightest supply. So it's important that we get that supply. And this is the best, I feel this is the best way. And as I'm going through, it's becoming easier. So the last six weeks that it took to get to this level, mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. it'll be done for the next one. It'll be, as soon as we're ready to go, those six weeks can be contracted down to zero. Okay. This first one, of course, will be the hardest one to get off the ground. Mm -hmm. Uh, But after that, it should become easier and easier as we repeat the process.
0: Okay, amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Moving on to more local news. Speaking of affordable housing, the city of Kingston has set to move forward with the plan to remove unhoused campers on Tuesday, March 21st. Homeless individuals living in tents in Kingston, Ontario, on municipal land surrounding the integrated care hub, are bracing for the possible eviction by the city tomorrow. I know I won't leave easy and I'm not the only one, says Jay English, one of the campers that could be forced to relocate. The municipality plans to remove people living mostly in tents and lean-tos made from scrap wood on March 21st. Kingston Mayor Brian Patterson says he expects those remaining at the camp will leave voluntarily. Local activist group Mutual Aid Cataraqui Kingston put out the following news release on Friday, March 17th. The City of Kingston is proceeding with its planned eviction of Bell Park encampment residents that could take place on or sometime after this coming Tuesday, March 21st. On March 14th, the City of Kingston issued a statement saying that they have consulted with encampment residents near Bell Park and ICH and are offering low-barrier shelter options. The release also stated there is extra shelter capacity to accommodate those still in the encampment. We have serious about all three claims. One, that campment and residents were consulted, that the places referenced in the release are low-barrier options, and three, That there is additional capacity in the shelter system. We believe that the city cannot and should not claim that any of these are meaningfully true. Instead, we presume that the city is seeking to abdicate its responsibility in the wake of the Waterloo ruling that affirmed encampment residents' rights. We therefore think that any steps taken to evict encampment residents in the ICH Bell Park area would not only be inhumane and unethical, but also a breach of human rights based on the Waterloo region precedent. In the news release, The mutual aid Cataraqui Kingston Group then further goes to break down the different three claims that the city has made that they do not agree with and that they do not believe is true. First is consulting with the encampment. In the news release, they say the city claims that consultation with encampment residents has taken place. Members of Mutual Aid Kataraki Kingston, also known as MAC, visited the encampment on March 16th and spoke to eight residents. And all of them stated that no city staff members have consulted with them about their situation or needs. We therefore asked the city, "Who from the current encampment have you consulted? When and where did this happen? Did you disclose that you were city workers and explain the intent of your conversation? Or if you sent partners to conduct this consultation, did they make it clear to?" to encampment residents that they were there on behalf of the city of Kingston and the intent of the conversation. How have these consultations informed services being delivered? The next concern they had is low barrier options. While some of the shelter options in Kingston offer fewer barriers, no location referenced in the City News release is truly low barrier, like the ICH or sleeping cabins, neither of which, interestingly, were listed as options. Most importantly, the City of Kingston's definition of, quote, low barrier, unquote, fails to address the accessibility needs of those who use substances. Many of the encampment residents use substances, which is why they stay close to the ICH and in the encampment where residents practice safer substance use together. Omitting reference to substance use in the definition of low barrier is dishonest and against the principles of harm reduction. City staff are claiming that they have done their due diligence, but it is clear that they have not meaningfully listened and responded to residents' needs and are refusing to address the elephant in the room. The city has at other times claimed that it wasn't within their responsibility or ability to respond to those needs as a municipality. However, even if they continue to work with the province on longer-term solutions, people need appropriate shelter options now. As long as adequate, low barrier options do not exist, the city does not have the right to evict residents from the only places they can find adequate shelter. Evictions will not bring people into shelters if those spaces do not meet their needs. They will simply push people further into the woods away from life-saving care and into greater risk. Another concern that MAC had was the number of beds. Contrary to the city's claims, there simply aren't enough shelter beds to accommodate everyone in the encampment now and into the future. Max spoke with eight encampment residents who said they stayed outside of ICH on the night of March 14th, and they identified an additional 10 people they said were outside as well. Shelter workers confirmed on March 15th that their locations were at capacity the night of March 14th, with the exception of the Kingston Youth Shelter, where no one from the encampment is eligible to stay because they are not 16 to 24 years old, and St. Mary's, which only had one available bed on March 14th. Mac is also aware that the Adelaide shelter was originally only funded until the end of March and St. Mary's may only stay open until the end of April. And what happens when those beds are gone? Last, no evictions, is what they are fighting for. The news release continues to say, existing encampment residents haven't been meaningfully consulted. There is no information about who was consulted or how that resulted in any service changes in the past two months. People who use substances have not been accommodated, and there are not enough beds in the emergency shelter system now, and there will be fewer by April 30th. Given these circumstances, it's fair to ask the city about its eviction plans. What does success look like here? If there are not enough shelter spaces, period, let alone ones that would meet the needs let alone actual housing options for people how can proceeding with an eviction be successful evicting people knowing that only risk harm and trauma will result is foolhardy inhumane and dangerous the waterloo ruling made it clear that encampment residents cannot be evicted when there is a lack of adequate indoor shelter options and that service restrictions such as rules around substance use have the quote net effect of reducing the number of beds that would otherwise be available in the region unquote the city of kingston can't say they have done their due diligence wash their hands of the situation, and evict people who are unhoused simply because the city has met some needs. We all know this isn't how accessibility and human rights work. We demand that there be no evictions. Instead, there must be meaningful engagement with people who live in the encampment, and accessible options have been provided for everyone so that encampment residents can leave by their own choice. In the meantime, MAC is encouraging members of the community to write to City Council and join their rapid response phone tree by texting 613-777-2664 with your name and number and stay tuned. If evictions proceed, MAC will make an announcement and call on community members to stand in solidarity with the encampment residents and against eviction. Again, that number is 613-777-2664. That's it for your local news rundown. Now let's jump into our weather report for the day. Tonight will be partly cloudy with winds up to 15 kilometers an hour. The low will be minus 3 with wind chill making it feel like minus 7 overnight. Tomorrow will be sunny. There will be increasing cloudiness early in the afternoon and then a 60% chance of showers late tomorrow afternoon. Wind will be becoming northeast 20 kilometers an hour late in the morning. The high will be 7 tomorrow with wind chill making it feel like minus 8 in the morning. Tomorrow night will be periods of rain with a low of plus 2. That's it for your weather report, and now let's go into our traffic report for the week. Thank you so much. I'm Alexandra Fernandez, and here is your weekly traffic report brought to you by the City of Kingston. Frontnack Street from Princess to York will be closed until March 22nd, this coming Wednesday at 5 p.m. Lower Bruce Swing Bridge is closed until further notice. Parks Canada is continuing its efforts to replace the bridge over the winter season. University Avenue from Union to Earl will be closed until April 31st at 7pm, and Wright Crescent from the south intersection of Palace to 16 Palace will be closed until October 31st. The School Streets Initiative is still in place. The following streets are closed from 8.40am to 9.10am, as well as 3.20pm to 3.50pm on weekdays until June 29th. That's Macdonnell Street from Earl to Hill and Sydenham Street from Ordnance to Colburn. Thomas Street from County to Patrick is closed on Mondays from 3.30 to 5.30 p.m. until August 28th for the Place Street Initiative parking disruption at the chad Memorial parking structure is still in place. The restoration project is now underway. The work will take place throughout all levels of the building and the work is expected to conclude in late December. The work will be completed in phases to allow the building to remain open to public parking for the duration of the project. Phased work areas will occupy now a maximum of 33% of the available parking stalls at a time. Up to 150 spaces will be out of commission. There is parking availability at the Hanson Memorial and the Robert Bruce Memorial parking garages in the two adjacent blocks to the east if you're looking for a new place to park. Other delays that you can expect this week, Highway 33 east of Collins Creek Bridge to west of Coronation Boulevard, you can expect delays, but construction barrels and flag people will direct traffic in and around the work zone. That's it for your weekly traffic report brought to you by the City of Kingston, and now let's throw it over to Mary McKetty with our events calendar.
2: Thank you so much. I'm Mary McKetty and this is your events calendar for the week. From now until Sunday, you can catch the final performances of Ene by Rosemary Doyle at the Tet Center for Creativity and Learning, located at 370 King Street West. Doyle's play follows the journey of a young, college-age girl to Ireland as she uncovers the secrets of four generations of her family after meeting her maternal grandmother for the first time. Showtimes and ticket prices vary, so make sure to check out tetcenter.org events for more information, and that's t-e-t-t slash events. Coming up on Thursday, the Kingston Hiring Summit is back for another year of networking and recruiting at the Quality Inn and Conference Center, located at 33 Benson Street. Presented by the Greater Kingston Chamber of Commerce, this summit hosts 46 exhibitors seeking qualified candidates for positions that they are hiring for. Job seekers are encouraged to stop by from 11am to 2pm with their resumes, so make sure to register online at kingstonchamberca events. Next up on Friday, the Little Cataraqui Creek Conservation Area, located at 1641 Perth Road, is hosting a Forest Therapy Walk. Led by forest therapy guide Stanna luxford Audi, the forest therapy walk is meant to help you connect more deeply to nature, to others, and to yourself by walking, sitting, or standing in nature and sharing how you feel with others in the group. The walk takes place from 4.30 to 6.30 p.m. and limited spots are available, so make sure to register online for $20 at katarakuconservation.ca And that's C-A-T-A-R-A-Q-U-I-conservation.ca. Also on Friday, the Imbish Grins perform live at the Merchant Tap House, located at 6 Princess Street. With experience performing as hit artists throughout the decades, ranging from David Bowie to Amy Winehouse, this classic rock cover band is sure to offer a riotous good time. No cover price or registration is required, so just make sure to be there from 10.30pm to 1.30am. To wrap up our week on Sunday, the Queen's Student Diversity Project, QSDP, is hosting their fourth annual Empower Conference at Goods Hall, located at 143 Union Street. This conference is open to current high school or university students and aims to offer students insight into different lived experiences through a series of speaker panels, where guest speakers will discuss their experiences with adversity and how they overcame them. This event takes place from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m., and registration is required, so make sure to visit QSDP Instagram page at Queen's Diversity Project with no capitals, underscores, or punctuation in the username For for more information in the link to sign up. I'm Mary McKetty, and those are all the events we're highlighting for the week. Thank you so much for tuning in to CFRC's news programming. If you ever have a news story or tip to share, please reach out to news at cfrc.ca. Stay tuned for more programming coming up next. Thank you for listening to this podcast produced at CFRC 101.9 FM at Queen's University, situated on the traditional territory of the Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee peoples and brought to you by the generous support of the Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science.